What is up, guys? Welcome to this episode of the Noble Pursuit Podcast, hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spaden. On today's episode, I am joined by Justin Jacoby. Um, Justin is a high-level bodybuilding coach. Um, Justin has coached multiple IFBB pros, Olympia competitors, Arnold competitors, etc. And so today, we dive more into a bodybuilding-centric episode. Um, we discuss how to mostly take advantage of your off season. What do people do wrong in their off seasons and how to ultimately improve so you actually grow muscle tissue and look different the next time you step on stage. Um, we discuss multiple of the very basic facets of the off season. We're talking about training, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about sleep. And then we even get into a little bit of just some PEDs um, just near the end, but this is a great episode overall. And we even talk about Justin's journey. We talk about Justin's journey to becoming an IFBB pro, how he even started with bodybuilding, um, and his journey through multiple moving in through multiple States, um, to end up in Florida where now he full-time coaches and full-time bodybuilds. So this is a great episode. I'm looking forward to this one. So before you guys get to this episode, if you guys would want to support your boy, you guys can use code SPADA at morphogennutrition.com. And if you guys enjoy this episode at any point in time, subscribe to the podcast. Go share this on, on your Instagram story if you guys did enjoy this episode. So let's waste no time here. Let's just get to this episode. Let's welcome on Justin Jacoby. Where, where are you from? How did you become like a Penn State guy? My dad went there. Okay. Yeah. yeah so my dad, grew, my parents grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. And um, then they moved. My dad originally moved to Newport News, Virginia when he got his first job, like, you know, out of college back in the 80s. And then he was at the shipyard for a bit. And then eventually he got the job that he and eventually retired from last year. And so, you know, he was like a lifer there basically. And that brought us to like the Endwell, New York area, which is where I grew up. Okay. So right. I lived there for a couple of years before starting to have kids. So it's like a suburb of Binghamton, like Binghamton, New York. And I went, I ended up graduating from Binghamton University and so did my sister. So we all kind of like stayed in that Northeast area and like, they all are still there. And then I was the one who like moved around a bunch of different places. And I eventually I landed in South Florida with Matt. Yeah, that's, I ended up. I ended up moving from Philly to Penn State, then down to Virginia, and then to here. Uh, last the last few years, so it's like, dude, we're all over the place. Bodybuilders are never settled. <laughs> no, that's true. We're very nomadic. Um, I couldn't even imagine moving back to any place cold though. After being here, like I was just in California. I just got back yesterday from my trip, so I was in California for five days, and then Portland, Oregon, for two. And it's fucking cold. And I was like, this sucks. And like, it wasn't really that cold. I mean, like I'm from upstate New York, so I know what the cold and snow yeah. and everything is like. like, I grew up with it my whole life. And man, I don't know, man, it was just cold. Like it was, it was cold, wet, raining and windy. And I was like, this sucks. So where like, where I live, like it's 70 degrees and sunny out right now. Granted, this is the time to be in Florida because yeah. <laughs> from April until November, it's shit like it's hot as fuck super humid and like you don't want to be outside so everyone's like you know hiding inside whereas like now is the time to be here when it's like florida winter 
So now you're actually getting outdoor walks and you're actually, yeah, yeah. Now I actually do my walks and stuff outside and like, I'll do walks outside, like in the morning, like earlier in the mornings in the summertime. Like I definitely get up earlier in the summer because the sun's up sooner, but yeah, dude, like after, I mean, it hits 10 o'clock and you're like, okay, it's too hot to be outside. Yeah. How's that? And even goes down so hot. How's that move been for your bodybuilding career? Like in general and everything. So, I mean, moving to, so I've moved actually several places specifically for bodybuilding. So like originally I moved to Connecticut after I graduated college, I did a little brief tour in Buffalo, New York for like my first official job out of college. I was like finance bro for city for a bit and I hated it. And then I eventually moved to Connecticut because I wanted to train out of the Montaneri Brothers Powerhouse Gym in New Haven. Yep. So I lived there for eight months and was living the dream. You know, I was coaching about 15 to 20 people and I was li- I was literally living off of that. Um, I had like, you know, no bills and whatnot. So it was like, you know, I basically just got to be like almost a full-time bodybuilder. And then I kind of like, you know, my girlfriend at the time was going into the Marines. I needed to, you know, kind of figure out what I was going to start doing as far as like work wise. And then I moved to Georgia for like a new career in the automotive industry. I was there for three years. And that's actually what brought me and Matt together was when I moved to Georgia, because I started training at a gym that he was training at. And I didn't even really realize it until I went there and I saw it. And I was like, and I've met him before. So I was like, what the fuck is he doing here? And then like one day I didn't bother him or anything like that. One day we literally bumped into each other by accident, like by the cables. And that was when we were able to actually like, you know, speak again. It was like, what are you doing here? And I was, and I was like, I live here. What are you doing here? And he's like, I live here too. Cause at the time when I met him, he was living in Tennessee in Knoxville with that whole small gym and the, like he was part of Arsenal. Um, But then he moved back to where they grew up, which was North Georgia. And that's where I was living. So it was just very lucky. And then we started training together for, you know, every day for, you know, about a year and a half. Uh, He was with me for, you know, my, my whole prep going into USA's in 2019. And when he moved to South Florida, I knew that my days in Georgia were numbered. I was like, it's just a matter of time between before either one, I convince my fiance to move with me to Florida or two, we break up and then I move to Florida. So, and unfortunately it was the latter. We ended up not working out. And then yeah. when we split, I immediately reached out to him and Dom because I was working in a field uh, of, I was working in the supplement manufacturing industry. So I was working in a field that could easily parlay into what they were doing at Raw and Revive. They saw a good fit for me and I joined the team and I moved right away and started actually working for them while, uh, while I was already working for Matt with, with Camp Jansen. So that was when I moved, that was August of 2021. So that was before I went pro. Yeah, and that was probably the best decision that I ever made because from you know that would be August, September, October, November, and then obviously nationals that year was December seventeenth. So you know four and a half months I got to just be doing my whole prep and at Revive, and you know I had everything just like handed to me as far as like I was already an athlete for Raw and Revive, but I had like more accessibility to get the supplementation that I needed. I had access to the clinic to make sure all my blood work. And I started doing IVs, like IV infusions with glutathione and everything like that, like right away. Like Matt was like, Hey, just get get linked up with them and like, let them know who you are and that you're part of our team, blah, blah, blah. And they've always taken good care of me. Like, you know, I basically pay cost. And then obviously having the gym and the environment, because at the time that I moved here, you know, Revive isn't quite what it was in the sense of we had a lot of bodybuilders in this gym. We had Nick, 
we had, um, you know, Matt Berzikot was still on the scene and like, we had a bunch of other pros that were coming in and out of the gym all the time. Um, you know, Brett came later, he's there now, but he wasn't there quite yet. Um, but yeah, so it was like, it was definitely a good environment for us to be able to be training in. And that made my prep that much easier. It was probably my best prep in the sense of like lack of urgency. There was like, we weren't in any rush, you know what yeah. I mean? Cause I was in great shape so early in that prep. And Matt was like, just kind of cruising along. I thought I was going to be a light heavyweight at nationals. And he like then sprung it on me at last minute. He was like, yeah, you're, I'm pulling you down to middles by the way. And I was like, <laughs> devastated. I was like devastated. I was like, dude, I've taken two years of growing to try and not be a middleweight anymore. Cause I was a middleweight in 2019 when I did USA's and I got third and I was like, I'm never being a middleweight again. I'm going to be, you know, light heavyweight. But, you know, in that time period in between, you know, like I said, I got engaged and then I got unengaged. And so like that didn't lead to a ton of progress as far as bodybuilding. Plus Georgia really wasn't the best environment for yeah. a, a competitive bodybuilder, at least not where I lived. Um, so then when I moved to Florida, I mean, it made a world of difference for that prep. Um, and then the subsequent prep since, cause I, you know, did my pro debut, I did a full off season. Now I'm back in an off season. Uh, and I trained with Justin O'Donnell, who's one of my athletes and yeah. one of my bigger guys, you know, so that's made a huge difference. And it, it's a, it's a, con, it's a, it's a compilation of everything, right? Like it, it's a perfect environment. Let's be honest. South yeah. Florida is where everyone really kind of wants to be, whether they agree, believe it or not, but the weather is beautiful, um, which keeps you in a much better headspace pretty much year round. I have access to, in my opinion, the best gym in Florida. Um, and I travel a lot. So I've been to a lot of different gyms and there's some really cool gyms out there, but Revive is just a great combination of everything. It's got some of the older pieces that I like. It's got mostly newer stuff. It's kept extremely clean and they cater to us a bit. Um, not crazy catering to us, but a good enough to the point where we feel taken care of. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a really good environment. We have enough good guys in our gym now to yeah. make it a really great environment to train because environment to me trumps what the gym actually has as far as equipment. Yep. I don't know how you feel about that, but when, when I train in a gym, especially a new gym or one that I've never been to, if I'm traveling, I don't really care so much about the equipment as much as I do about the energy and the atmosphere. If I go in there when all the other guys are there and it's loud and like the weights are clanging and like there's music playing and it's like, like destination Dallas is a great example. If you've ever been to that gym, yep. it's tremendous environment 24 seven. Yeah. Now they also have great equipment. So they, they have both going for them, but man, they have a great fucking environment too, where it's just, it's just hard nosed bodybuilding, you know, and we get that with revive. Like we, we, we get after it. I mean, we're hooting and hollering. There's a lot of guys in there getting after it. And like, it's, it makes for a lot of success and that just has bred more success. You know, like I'm competing with my training partner. He's competing with me, even though he's 60 pounds heavier than me. Um, but I keep it close. I mean, like, Hey, if it, and cause I tell him straight up, I'm like, dude, if I even am sniffing you on some of these movements, I'm like, you suck. Like, <laughs> yeah. you, better, you better get your ass in gear. I was like, don't let me outpress you when I weigh 60 pounds less than you, especially when he's like who he is. He's super strong. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, to make a, to a long story short or a short story long, uh, that has been probably the biggest in, uh, impact on my bodybuilding has been my move to Florida. Um, and to be out of this gym, um, and like having Matt here is a perk. It's not, I wouldn't say that it's one of the catalysts behind all of my growth. Cause I, I see him seldomly. I see him just as much as I see any of my other friends, like here and there, every couple of weekends or whatnot, it's always in 
uh, a casual setting. It's never bodybuilding related because we're just buddies. Um, but as far as the training goes, like, yeah, like having revived Jim and having Justin O'Donnell have probably been the two biggest reasons why I've made as much progress as I've made in the last, I mean, two and a half years, basically since I've been here. Yeah, I can, I could agree with you on the environment thing. I went from a gym that had like really no one when I kind of trained, it was a great bodybuilding gym, but like there was like four or five people that always trained at the same time as I did when I started working with Mark. And then I moved down to Virginia and I started training out of DMV iron, which is probably oh, yeah. so one of the best equipped gyms, I would say in the nation Yeah, when it comes out to it. So I was very much spoiled. And now I've moved up to this small town in Ohio that has, we, we have near nowhere near the equipment selection. It's a lot of just dumbbells and barbells back to basic training for the majority yeah. of it. And we're just, and we're just slanging and banging. Now, like I train legs, I train legs with Mark now because we need to bring up my legs and it's just like, but we're all usually training at the same time. Like there's always like, right. six, there's like the six of us six, seven of us all training at the same time. And we're just all pushing each other. So I can yeah. agree with you that, you know, it's, it's always the people that are with you. Like you literally can have dumbbells and barbells and you can get a lot done with that. Most people think you can't now because there's, there's all these machines and all these fancy things that you need. And I'm just like, yeah. I'll just, I'll just load up a dusty ass leg press and I'll get on my way. I don't need, I don't need one of these ones that have all these like resistant curve things on it, et cetera, to get. The yeah, I know. Right. And, and like we, I have that. So like I'm, I'm spoiled because I have, Definitely. That. I have a lot of time equipment at this gym and, uh, and we use it and we use it cause we, it'd be stupid I'll not to use it. Use, yeah. say, hey, if we have it, you know, smoke them if you got them. But like, it's, uh, it's definitely not essential like you said like i've trained at gyms that, that you're describing and they were my home gym for a long time like montanary brothers is not a fancy no. gym by any means it's fucking dusty and grungy it's in the yeah. old firehouse i mean it doesn't even have like mats on the floor it's like concrete <laughs> so like it's just different and now they have a lot of great selection but it's all old you know i mean nothing new gets brought in there it's all old stuff from like the 80s and 90s so i, I totally get what you're saying um you know, sometimes the old basic shit just like makes more sense to use. But again, like you said, so it's, it's about the environment. You know what I mean? The environment is what makes the gym, not the equipment. So, yeah. well, I think that's so a big happy. key. That's a big key to growing, right? It is ultimately not just yeah. the environment, but also the fact like you talked about having a training partner. I think having a yes. reliable, if you really want to take like your growth to the next level in terms of things, I think having a reliable, training partner that actually knows how to spot correctly and mm -hmm. also talk like you said like talk the shit that needs to be yeah, talked yeah. during during yeah. like training is so yeah. important like yeah it's uh i i love that you brought that up because that's like i think i've said that maybe a few thousand times at this point in my coaching career to my athletes is you know and i say it very much like this i'm like if you're serious about this and if you if you really want to go to the next level you need to find yourself a training partner because mm -hmm. I, you know, i'll review training footage and like it's relatively good but there's just like there's just like that there's like miss it's missing something and it's like that like that tenacity that extra rep or two that that little bit more that you can get from having a, a, a training partner it's not so much just like the art of spotting because it's it's anybody can spot it's really not that it's nope it's, it's having somebody there to keep you accountable and to really push you when your body and your mind is like, no, I can't. And it's like, no, 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 but you are. So that's the biggest key about it. And like, you know, and Justin and I have both been on record saying this, that, 
you know, he, he, for one, he probably wouldn't be bodybuilding anymore if it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, when we got linked up, it was after I had won, after I went pro at 2021 nationals and he had come off a, a pretty poor placing. He was, I think 13th or something like that. He got buried in the second call outs, didn't really get a look. And, um, he was considering hanging it up, you know what I mean? Cause he's a few years older than me. I'm, I'm going to be 30 in April. He's 32 or 33. He's a, he's an Aries as well. So he'll be turning 33. And, uh, I think he was, he was ready to be done. And, you know, I, we, you know, I've known him for like eight years, him and his wife, Ruth. And, um, we got talking and I was like, yeah, dude, I'll help you. I was like, I'd love the opportunity to help you. Like if, you know, if you trust me and you think that I can, you know, help you get to something you've never done before, I'm like, let's give it a shot. So he, you know, started working with me. And then, you know, three months later, he moved down here not to be with me, but they had aspirations of getting out of Connecticut and, I just happened to be here and they checked the area out and they were like, well, it works out perfectly. So he came and then, you know, Ruth, I'd work with his wife, Ruth as well. And um, us being able to be there together has not only helped him continue bodybuilding, you know, cause it's now 2024. He was ready to be done after December of 2021. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, we added another two years uh, to bodybuilding. He won his first overall this past year in 2013 and 2023, he got second place, just yep. missed a pro card at USA's as a heavyweight and, uh, you know, it's like, he's like there, he's just not even the same bodybuilder anymore. So, and I told him, I said, I'm not letting you retire until you go pro. I'm like, I just can't, you know what I mean? As, as yeah. your coach and as your like best friend, I can't let you not achieve this goal that you've been chasing after for the last like almost decade, you know, yeah. cause he started bodybuilding a little bit later. Um, but yeah, having each other and, and, and same with me, like, you know, to wrap up that point, like he has helped me want to keep going. Yep. And to like, even myself as a bodybuilder and not just as a coach, you know, because, you know, you coach people and, you know, obviously Mark coaches people. And I think Mark's done now, right? Is he yeah. done? Yeah. Mark's, yeah, so Mark's done for the time, for the time being, we're going to see if I right. can. So, <laughs> so for now, at least he's, he's bodybuilding is yeah. on the back button yep. for him. I still have yet to do that. And I just can't, because I know that the, as soon as I put it on the back burner, it'll never come back to the front. Yep. And I'll just get, I'll just get focused in on my coaching and then that'll be what consumes me. And that's all I'll have. Um, which I, I do that already, to be honest with you. Like I really, I prioritize my athletes over myself all the time. I've said this multiple times. I'll say it again. I'm an, I'm a coach first and an athlete second. Definitely. I still have aspirations, man. Like I still have goals and dreams as a competitor and I'm not quite ready to give them up yet. Again, like I said, I'll only be 30 in April. So I feel like I've really tapped in since I, since 27, which was when I, I was 27, when I went pro from 27 to, you know, April, when I turned 30 and that short period of time has when I've really feel like I've clicked. It's when I've made the biggest, you know, leaps in strength. It's when I've been like, it's when I've been able to get to the biggest that I've ever been. I've held good condition in the off seasons each time doing so it's like, I'm finally getting bodybuilding to click. If I walk away from it now, I'll be wondering when I'm 40, like, ah, what if I had just kept going? Yeah. But it's so, so I want to ask then, because you kind of talked about it, like going into going, winning your pro card, you didn't have the off season. Right. And that's why I kind of wanted to have you on here is what yeah. actually makes like a really good off season, because I don't think people cover the variables needed. And I wanted to have someone who is a pro on to discuss this because you've had to go then not having a great off season as an amateur, turning right. to kind of revitalizing your own career in a way too during this aspect and being like, I got the biggest and leanest I have been. So yeah. what really, what are like the few variables that you think really has contributed 
to that and what can contribute to most people that they they're undershooting when it comes down to their offseason and their growth phase. Okay. Yeah. So the first variable is one that we already have touched on, which is the importance of having a training partner. Um, because in that time period leading up to even winning my pro card, I didn't have a consistent training partner. I prepped mostly by myself. Um, and then the off seasons leading up to that point, when Matt left Georgia, I didn't have a consistent training partner. I had a couple of people who would jump in with me here and there. Um, but it was mostly by myself and you and I both know it's like, Hey, it's just not the same. It's, it's too easy to skimp out on something or it's like, I really don't want to do this right now. And then like, just find something else to do instead, you know, you're not doing the hard stuff anymore. So that's probably one of the first things. The other ones is last off season, like the one from winning my pro card to then doing my pro debut was my best one that was completed. Currently, right now, the one that I'm in, in my opinion, is my best. Okay. Like, I think this is my best offseason, but I'll talk about this first one first. Definitely. Because I went from, so I, you know, at nationals, I made weight at 176. Mm-hmm. And then I was on stage at prejudging around like 178 and a half. And then by finals, I was closing in on 179 and a half. I, I never was on stage at 180. I was just shy. Um, so, you know, I took, and then at Texas pro, I was 190 on stage. Yeah. So that was, you know, I took, obviously I took 2022 off. Um, so Which I, I think it's 20- a variable that most people need to do. First off is just take a whole year off. Right. Is if they don't, yeah, I mean, need to put on the to, no, it's okay. I mean, I was, I, that was going to be a point that I was going to make is, you know, I, I took that big chunk of time off. And then even into 2023, I still didn't start prep until March 31st. Yeah. So like we were 22 weeks out. I like starting prep a, a little early. So that way those first few weeks is like me getting back to not doing daily cheat meals. <laughs> and like, you know, getting back to eating like diet food all day, every day. Yeah. Because um, it's it's an adjustment. Like as much as people want to say like, oh, they can flip a switch. It's like, dude, that shit's hard. And so like, you know, going back from like, you know, off season eating, which I, I, I eat relatively clean anyway. Like I have a meal prep service that does all my food for me, but you know, and I like to go out to eat a lot, but it's usually a steak and a potato. Like I'm, I'm very consistent with what I'm ordering. Cause mm-hmm. I know one, I don't want to upset my stomach and two, cause my acid reflux is a little sensitive. And that's kind of one of the biggest reasons is it. I'm like, <laughs> I like food and I love like the treats and all that, but like <laughs> most of the time it's not for me. So, but that year, my goal, and I, I allowed myself this because that was that was maybe one of the uh, softer off seasons I had had, but I was fifty pounds over stage weight, so I went from one seventy eight up to two thirty one at peak off season in that that year, you know. So like one seventy eight was stage weight at nationals, and then fast forward until you know, I think it was. January was when I was in the two thirties. Yeah. And then I actually kind of cleaned up my diet again, a little bit there and then kind of start and started prep from two twenty six for Texas pro. So one of the biggest things that I did was I was, I was trying to drive my weight up as high as I could without getting too soft. Now, everybody's going to have to understand and learn a little bit about their bodies to understand what too soft is for them. And the reason why I knew where I could get to was I've never had a problem getting in shape. So I knew getting the body fat off wasn't going to be a problem. So I didn't really worry about how much body fat I had put on. I knew that at, I knew that at a point 
if you get your body weight to a certain point and you let it stick and you kind of marinate in it for a bit, it holds a little bit more. You know, if I had touched 230 for one day and then started dieting right from there, I would have been 218 in a week and a half. Yeah. So that 230 would have been false. It wouldn't even have been real. You know, whereas I got to got to that weight, I held it for a bit, I cleaned it up just a little bit, came down to 226, but then I kind of just sat there for a bit and I wasn't trying to go up or down. I was just kind of trying to sit there, you know, and for me, like the amount of calories I have to eat in the, in an off season is kind of like off the textbook. And as far as, you know, this many grams of protein per pound of body weight, et cetera. And like, you know, using different macro calculators to count, to come up with, Hey, what should be an adequate amount of calories for a guy, my size and in a surplus. Well, to me, that's never worked. I have to simply just eat as much as I can on a daily basis. So I had my base core meals that I would eat every day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of red meat for me, it's mostly red meat in the yep. off season. Cause it's what I can stomach. Um, boy, chicken in the off season is just not, <laughs> it just doesn't work. I don't know. It just doesn't for me. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. And like, I, the reason why I love coaching too, and I want to sidetrack here is because I'm not the best off season bodybuilder. So it makes me a much better bodybuilding coach for people who are hard gainers. Um, but that off season, I had my core meals and then I would have two meals a day that I would just flex. So it was, you know, one, one of those meals might be a cheat meal. So it might be like going and getting breakfast at the diner. Um, that's hardly a cheat meal by my standards to be perfect. I don't honest. consider it. That's not too dirty. <laughs> you know, getting a couple, you know, I'm getting three eggs and usually I usually do the steak and eggs. So this diner locally, they only do steak and eggs on Sunday, but they know me personally and they love me. So they just keep a strip steak on hand at all times. And like any day of the week, if I say, can I get the steak and eggs? They'll be like, as long as we have a steak, we'll do it. And then they do it. So, you know, so a lot of times that breakfast was steak and eggs, yep. you know, probably about, I don't know, 40% of the time. Um, Cause I visit that diner pretty regularly. And then the other times, you know, I would do, uh, you know, I would do a, a meal out as like my last meal or ordered in or whatever, just in, just doing things like basic stuff that I know my stomach can handle burgers and fries, um, sushi. Um, I do, I do hibachi a lot. Um, cause I do like something clean sometimes like, and I always do the white rice. I never do uh fried rice. If you've ever oh. gone to a place and you watch them make fried rice, it's literally a whole stick of butter and like two <laughs> yeah. cups of rice. That's like, the best part about it. <laughs> yeah, I know. But like, not for, not, not for us body rivers though. I would yeah, know. Yeah, there. <laughs> we have some standards here. So, but the, but the, for whatever reason, eating the vegetables with the, with the meats that are cooked right on the skillet top. It, with the rice has always been a meal that I can get down in an abundance a lot of, as opposed to like making my own chicken and rice. And I'm very grateful. I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but precision meal prep in Vero, in Vero, um, which is about an hour North of me. And they do, they do deliveries to my doorstep. They're the best. That's, that's been a huge uh, plus for me. And I actually did start working with them last year. So they helped me for some of my off season last year, about probably the last five months of it. Um, and, uh, I, I, they have a menu that I select meals from, which usually it's a chicken meal or a steak meal with a variety of carbohydrates. I'm not sure if anyone, if people have seen like full ads videos back when he was still bodybuilding, when, how how he would do his meal prep. Yeah. I always thought it was really interesting. And I always used to love watching those videos of bodybuilders doing their meal prep because I'd like to learn, Hey, what do you, what's this guy doing differently than me? Um, 
you know, he did a lot of white potatoes, which I, I'm, I like potatoes. I can only usually handle one potato meal a day. Um, but I never thought to use pasta in my off seasons. And now I eat so much fucking pasta. It's like, um, <laughs> so like, like I, that meal I just had is, is uh, shredded beef with a little bit of, um, with a little bit of barbecue sauce on it over like macaroni type noodles. That sounds better. And, and there's a little bit of, they have like a little bit of cheese mixed into the macaroni noodles, but you have, I mean, I have the macro breakdown for all of my meals. Um, and this is something I did at the end of last off season as well as now is I have just macros now that I'm trying to hit based off of what some of these meals are. And then I have, again, still like one to two flex meals, like usually my first and last meal of the day. Um, and it also allows me to do a better job of eating when I'm traveling. So that's another thing that people in the off season don't fully understand is, Hey, just because you're traveling doesn't mean that your off season eating stops. Like you still have to find ways to get calories in. Um, is there too soft? Is there too soft now? I've kind of had this thing, right? Because when I, obviously when I started with Mark, I was kind of not big at all. I was like 167 pounds, but we had to go naturally up to, I mean, I spent 19 months going up to 200 pounds. Like I dropped down to the lowest of like 163 up to 200. And I was like, that's almost 40 pounds. That was like, like, that's exactly yeah, you I had to really push like, it up forty pounds to get some reasonable size on you. Yeah, and I don't, and obviously I was fairly soft. I posted my photo today of what I looked like in my side chest at my final point, and I was okay. like, "Boy, I was really fucking soft compared to where I was." And I think are guys too afraid of going too soft because I don't, I don't know if there is a point when you're obviously at that point. I was like twenty three. Right. I was kind of still fairly on the young side, like never really been through like a true like growth phase in general, like actually intentionally putting on muscle tissue for a long period of time. So I think at one point guys do have to get like not like uber soft, but they do got to get way onto that softer side to get to that point of of placing the tissue where it needs to, especially maybe if they're doing like their first like. PD growth phase and things of those natures. Yeah. Obviously, we got to keep health in check. But I feel like if biomarkers are in where they need to be, you mm-hmm. can keep pressing forward because those calories should be high enough to where if you pull them down, you should drop pretty easily after that. So I think people do need to get way softer than they think to actually put on the tissue possible. Yeah. So that's so there's a there's a double edged sword here. Definitely. Right? So I like to start growth phases from the leanest, leanest place possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, because you know, this is something I learned from Matt. It's also something I've learned from practice, but you grow best when you're leaner. Yep. You simply, because insulin sensitivity stays in a great place and then you can put on lean tissue much faster. Now there does come a point though, where when you start hitting sticking points, which they all come and they come for everybody at different times, when you start hitting sticking points, that's when it's time. Hey, we got to bump the food up, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a result of that, then, Hey, we're going to put on a little bit of extra body fat. The way that I deem this and the way that I look at things is if my performance in the gym is still improving and I'm still adequately recovering, I'm not too soft. But if I'm, if I'm not seeing performance in, in the gym, really going up with myself or with any of my athletes, recovery capabilities aren't the greatest because maybe we are too heavy now to the point where the body's actually having a hard time just recovering from the training session. Um, 
then that would be when I would say, okay, maybe it's time. And, and then typically, obviously, of course, the third prong would be, hey, well, let's look at composition and see where we're at. If there, if it seems like over the last maybe four weeks of check-ins, which would be approximately a month, they haven't really gotten bigger. They've just gotten softer. You can easily see that in a side-by-side. It's like, okay, well then, hey, maybe it is time for us to pull back on some calories and maybe do a little reset. And that's where mini diets come into play. And when I would then pull the trigger on something like that, because yes, insulin sensitivity is something that's important for muscle growth. And we want to try and stay as insulin sensitive as long as possible, which we have things that we can use different modalities. You can use, you know, over the counter GDAs, you can use metformin, um, you know, you can use insulin if you really want to, I'm not an insulin guy, but you can. And all of those things will help with monitoring and keeping insulin sensitivity in a certain place. That's still allowing us to see benefits of being relatively sensitive to it. But it comes, there comes a point of insulin resistance, like anything and like anybody. Definitely. And then it's, okay, that's when you're probably at that point where it's time to pull back. And everyone's different with that point either. And the, the only, and with insulin resistance, which is like, well, how do you know? And it's like, okay, well, you take your fast blood glucose levels, but those aren't always the answer. Nope. You know, cause you have people post contest that are like three or four weeks post contest and they're still lean, but they're in like the high eighties, like nineties, or even seeing people creeping up closer to hundred and they're perfectly lean. It's like, well, you really shouldn't be, you know, resistant to insulin. That number is skewed very commonly. Definitely. And unfortunately it's not one that I actually put all that much weight into anymore. Uh, unless I have uh, HbA1c to be able to compare it with. And really be able to block, you know, look into because that that gives you a much better answer. Yeah, of, I never um, I never look into it unless I see fasted insulin. To truly be honest, I go off people's stress. Right levels. there, you go. And I that's go off another stress levels out of everything. Like if I see body composition improving and they're gaining weight and they're putting on muscle tissue, obviously, like in, probably in a very low stress environment, then they're just in a good environment. I'm like, cool. All right, I'm not really going to pay attention. Yeah, great. Don't change anything. Just like, keep going. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> Um, so, so we kind of got, Hey, you have to eat right now. Let's, I kind of want to talk about maybe what are the other factors? I think one of the other factors probably to it. Well, sleep is probably the next biggest important factor, which, you know, once you get to a certain relative size for most men, you know, then you start potentially having to talk about the whole CPAP thing, uh, and doing the sleep study for sleep apnea. Um, but like excluding that, excluding like those types of variables, if you're not, if you're not getting consistently seven plus hours of sleep per night, then you're really doing yourself a disservice and you're, you're kind of, you're kind of only driving on one wheel. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, Hey, we don't have power going to both back wheels and we're not going to go as quick. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's trying to do something that your body doesn't naturally want to do. Your body wants to stay in homeostasis. So you're forcing it to grow by with the training and then the fuel for the training and the fuel for the recovery, which is the food, you know, so the training needs to be a stimulus high enough to create some type of adaptive response. That's how we grow tissue, right? Okay. So if we're doing those things, we're eating in a surplus, we're taking the right combination of PEDs for our body and whatever we respond best to, and we're training hard with intent and giving ourselves plenty of stimulus to cause an, adapt- an adaptive response, but we're not sleeping well, we're, our, our results are going to be marginal at best. And there's no way around that. And yep. that's something that that's usually the first thing that I kind of hound people on. And sometimes people just simply can't get it right. Um, they just don't leave themselves enough hours to sleep, whether it's their work schedule or their, 
you know, responsibilities outside of, you know, outside of work as a husband or as a wife or, you know, whatever. And it's like, it's unfortunate, but Hey, like the ability to grow muscle and get like really big is not a privilege. It's, it's not a right. It's a privilege. You know what I mean? It's, and it's a privilege that one that you have to earn, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, well, if you can't pay the piper, you're not going to get the results that you want. And sleep is part of the payment to the piper, you yeah. know? So that's, that's probably, and I, I've said this on record too. Like I think sleep is arguably more important than the food. So like I, I'm never one that tells athletes to stay up late to get all of their meals in and then start cutting into the amount of hours they can sleep. Exactly. I, I've never, I've never said that. And I don't even personally do that myself. If I'm tired and like my body's like, yo, dude, you need to go to bed. But I'm like, but I have another meal that I'm supposed to eat in like two hours, which then if I do eat that meal and then I go to sleep and then I wake up at the time that I am supposed to wake up to start my day to make sure I get all my shit done. Well, now I'm only leaving myself five to six hours of sleep. It's like, well, for that day, I'm going to forfeit that meal and go to bed. And then I'm going to try and figure out a way within my schedule to get my meals in, in a more timely fashion. As my, I'm, I'm going to adapt. As food gets higher, I always push that first meal like earlier. Like as much as I don't want yeah, to, sometimes as much as I don't want to, I'm just like, I'm not like maybe like not right away, but I'll do like 20 minutes to get like my gut stuff in and do all those things, do what I need to do. Yeah. And I'm like, first meal goes in. Like that's, that's typically like when I have to push five meals and I have to push up food, like at some point yeah. I was eating like 4,200 calories. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm making that meal at like 630 in the morning. Like I'm up at six. I mean that 630 in the morning. So I could spread this out enough to where yeah. I could still hit the seven hours. And I've had this tough conversation with people and you have to, when it comes down to bodybuilding and you start seeing like on your check-in sheet, you start seeing like six, six and a half. You start to see more sixes rather than even yeah. if you're, and even if you're seeing, sevens. even if you're seeing low into the sevens, right. Mm -hmm. They're really kind of calculating how much they're in bed for. Right. They're not actually, yeah, exactly. yeah it's not, not how much like, sleep you're actually, not actually like sleeping. And they're like, well, how do I track? I'm like, you don't need to track it with an aura ring or doing things. It's like, figure out a time, sit there for maybe like 20 minutes and give yourself like, add like 30 minutes on, add like 20 or 30 minutes onto that because most yeah. people struggle with falling asleep in the first place. So I'm like, right. add that time. So I'm like, really, you're hitting like six and a half or six hours of sleep here. So just imagine like those things. So you, I think guys, especially like amateurs that want to go pro and they want to have like that one off season away from going pro. It's like saying no to a few things that you're going to need to say no to, to get the yeah. sleep is really important. And I've had that conversation with a few guys who I coach who have the, I guess, quote unquote potential to go yeah. pro like those guys who have potential, but they don't they don't do anything with it because they can't get the sleep part or they're not willing to say no to certain aspects of life sometimes to put that progress yeah. on the pedestal. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's like the most unfortunate thing. And like, as a coach, like wasted potential is probably the hardest pill to swallow with some of these people. And like, Hey, it's, it is what it is. You can't get out. You can't help people get out of their own way sometimes. So you kind of just have to, you know, you, you do the best you can, you coach them up the best you can. Hopefully they can still get it done. But in the back of your mind, you you know, and I know, and, you know, even the athlete probably knows like, hey, I did that on like 80%. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it, and, and unfortunately there's a lot of athletes that just never will allow themselves to go hundred percent. I don't know if it's because mentally they are afraid of what going hundred percent would look like. Cause if they go hundred percent and they lose, then they have no scapegoat to like fall back on. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's so common, unfortunately, these days. But sticking with the, the topic here of, you know, of, of being on it when it comes to sleep, I mean, it really is the number one most important thing. And like, I, I ask people if they're not able to get, if they just simply are unable, meaning like whatever the reason, if they're simply unable, <clears throat> if they can at least get like an hour nap in during the day, 45 minutes to 60 minutes, like no longer than that, like no longer than an hour, because then you're potentially falling into REM sleep and then you're breaking your REM sleep cycle and then you'll wake up even more tired. So it's like, there's a, there's a legitimacy to the whole power nap idea, as opposed yeah. to taking a two hour nap, yep. you know, that's like, that's like a two to three hour nap is more like you fell asleep and you went to bed <laughs> yeah. and then you woke up and now your body thinks that you only got three hours of sleep that night. Yep. It's, it's not the same 30 to 45 minutes is great. It can really, it can really pep, put some pep in your step. If you're starting to drag a little bit, it's not a replacement for getting seven plus hours of sleep at night. You know, at, like when it's dark out, making sure your circadian rhythm is in check um, and all of that stuff. You know, and, and to, to your point is like with moving your meal schedule around to allow for that. It's like, hey, yeah, sometimes that cuts into your fasted cardio time. Oh, well, it's the off season. Like, just get it done. Like, no offense, but like you're usually too fat in the off season for it to really matter. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> just get it done. Like if it has to be post-workout, it, do it post-workout. Because then now here's the problem. You'll have a lot of these optimal coaches. That's the what I call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, either ones that have never bodybuilder or, you know, very seldomly bodybuilding, everything needs to be optimized. It's got to be optimal. It's got to be optimal, but wait, don't do that. It's not optimal. It's like, just do something like try something. Cardio post-workout isn't the end of the world. I know typically they would say those, those coaches specifically would be like, yeah, but you want to have cardio as far away from training as possible because now you're ending entering a catabolic state. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, and you're messing up with your anabolic window. It's like, please shut the fuck up. Like that stuff really doesn't matter. I'm like, just get it done. Just get it done. Cause guess what? We do post-workout cardio and prep, right? Yeah. You know, I'm sure you have people do, I do fasted cardio in prep. And then I have a little bit of post-workout cardio I have to do too. You know? So like, I would rather do a 30 minute fasted and then 15 minute post-workout than do all 45 fasted. You know, I'd rather just do a hit session. Like if you're really, like if you're really in the off season too, I think this goes under like, yeah, really I have a lot of guys like if do you're that. pushing, like if you're pushing up body weight, especially as a male bodybuilder and your heart's taking a beating, like put in some freaking hit cardio. I bet like literally yeah. it takes like seven to 10, you, you could take you 10, 15 minutes to right. do. And then, and then the benefits to that with training carries over significantly more than just what the steady state does, you know, because in prep, yeah, steady state cardio is great for me personally. I know a lot of my athletes, their performance goes way up because they just don't gas out. Like they can, they can keep a relative strength level, but they, their repetitions are super high because their, their cardio, their lungs don't gas out. Like, you know, like right now I'm carrying like 227, 228. So I'm, you know, nearing an all time high. And it, I feel heavy and it's just like, this sucks. So like, you know, I'm gassed, like just having a conversation, I run out of breath, you know, but you know, it is what it is. It's part of the process. You know what I mean? Like that's, there's a lot of things with bodybuilding that are very abnormal. But then when you get asked as a coach, it's like, Hey, is this normal? It's like, well, in what sense? Cause in real, in regular life, absolutely Absolutely not (laughs) but in enhanced bodybuilding when you're physically taking yourself to levels that your body absolutely does not want to be at yeah it's relatively normal you know i mean you know uh you know bloody noses when you're training happens all the time yep you know why does it managing even just from a managing blood pressure perspective and managing health markers it's like having in a little bit of cardio in the off season 
is so important. I put that in for majority of people, no matter what. Like if they're in, like they're in, them. or they're in off season, like you're doing at least like you're doing at least three three sessions of like thirty minutes of cardio, like yeah. a week. Like that should be absolutely reasonable enough to keep your heart in a good place. Like, do we need the supplementation? Does it go along with it? Absolutely. Is it? Sure. Does it have its place? Yes. But we can also look at what modalities do we have to get our body to actually move, to use the heart? The heart is a muscle. I think most yeah, movement is the always movements, always the best answer there. And like Brett Wilkin is a good friend of mine. And he had, uh, he talked, he told me the story about an old strength coach that he had back at, uh, a, back in college said, used to say that motion is lotion. And, uh, now Brett's been saying that a lot recently, if anybody follows him and sees him saying it on his stories, but it's so true. You know what I mean? Like, the mo- mo- just getting your body moving is going to be good for you, especially in an off seasons um, standpoint. Cause it's like, it's like Newton's law of, of physics. You know what I mean? It's like, Hey, an object that's in motion will stay, will, will wants to stay in motion unless acted upon by an equal or opposite force. Well, yeah, dude, that's like when you're a heavy bodybuilder and you get yourself actually moving, you feel pretty good. And yep. then it's when you stop and then have to start again that you're like, Oh God, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the hard part. Yep. So, you know, and, you know, it just, it's a process of dieting and rebounding in the off season for the most part for me, as well as for my athletes is, you know, we do our pushes where we push our weight up, we push, you know, we, you know, we're not worried necessarily about composition at this time, because we're trying to, we're trying to push food up, we're pushing body weight up, we're trying to push our performance in, in, in the gym up as much as we can. And then we try and hold that for a period of time. And then we do a little bit of a dieting phase where we just kind of do a cleanup you know, and also like a clean out. That's typically when we're cycling off of yep. things or on some type of a cruise. I lower food when we typically lower dosages as well. Cause you know, protein synthesis isn't the same without the, the PEDs in the mix. We let body weight fall a little bit and then we ramp it right. And then we, you know, make sure we're good. That's our health phase as well. Make sure we're good, run a little bit of labs if we need to, and then go for it again. And that's the process. That's truly the process. And a lot of young guys kind of miss out on this is one thing that I will say too, is I don't feel like people are competing enough. And that's, that's very contrary to what a lot of other people will say. I feel like we're seeing more and more of these, like people that want to be like one and done. They want to like their first year of competitive bodybuilding. They want to win the overall at the regional. Then they want to go and then they want to go pro like right away. Yeah. I don't feel like that. That's not the best way about going about it. You know what I mean? And like, I don't feel like you actually really benefit all that much if you do end up doing that. But I also don't feel like that many people really should be making that a goal. I feel like you should kind of earn your stripes and get your feet wet, do some different preps. You know what I mean? Your body gets a bit better. It gets a little bit harder. It gets a little bit more polished and your conditioning gets a little bit better each time that you compete. So it's like, Hey, it's okay to stack, you know, some competitive seasons in a row, even in your younger years you know, like that's totally fine. Get some, get a little bit of a baseline there, you know, and if you're taking eight to 10 months off between shows, you know, you're giving yourself a decent amount of time, as long as you're on top of things. Now, if you're fucking off for eight months, then yeah, you're not going to make a ton of progress. You're fucking but off if, that first week post show, like that first few. Yeah. Weeks yeah. Show, you can you screw it up really all determine that could determine needing to compete the next year, being able to compete right. or not. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, just, Hey, we're going to, it's going to take us four months to fix what you just did in one week. Thanks. Yeah. So, Hey, that happens, you know, but if you're, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm kind of speaking in generalities, yep. like if I'm vacuum, right. You know, all variables are perfect, but if you're on top of it, 
and you're staying injury free, you're staying healthy, you're not having to do extensive health phases because of blood work being off or whatnot, like you can make a lot of progress in shorter periods of time than what people think. And the reason why they don't think that they can make that type of progress in that period of time is because they're not dedicated to it. They're not disciplined. So they're, it's like bodybuilding. They kind of do it. It's like when they're not in prep, it's an afterthought. But then when they're in prep, it's like the only thing that matters. But unfortunately, like it depends on, and it, here's the thing, and you know this as well as I do with working with different levels of athletes. You know, I have lifestyle people. I have people who've never competed that want to compete and we're getting ready to do like their first prep. Yep. And then I have Olympians, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm all over the spectrum as far as who I work with. And you kind of have to figure out the mentality of the athlete with where they're trying to go. You know, cause it's easy to say, well, I want to be on the Olympia stage one year. And it's like, okay, show me what you're doing then to be able to get there. Yeah. Because if you're not, if you don't live this 365 days a year, you're not doing enough. Because quite frankly, those people that are on the Olympia stage are doing that. And if you know somebody that's on the Olympia stage that's not doing that, then they have won the genetic lottery when it comes to genetics. <laughs> so it's like, there are people that get there that do kind of skate by. There's a lot of Olympians that do get on the Olympia stage solely off of talent. Yep. But the majority have talent and skill that has been crafted over years and years and years of following instructions properly and executing their plans properly, you know, and doing what their coach asks of them and not doing extra, you know, not having nights out where they're drinking with their buddies or, you know, un unplanned or unnecessary cheat meals, et cetera. Like they don't miss blood work. They don't miss their health subs. They don't miss a cardio session. You know, the only, the only time they're not in the gym training is if they're either sick or it's a planned rest day or whatnot. Like those are the people that are going to get to the top. Cause you'll outwork talent if talent doesn't work hard every day. And so that's something that I feel like a lot of people are unfortunately missing, you know? And like, when you really boil it down, you got to have a talk with yourself and see, Hey, what kind of athlete do I really want to be? Do I want this to consume my life? So that way I can take it to the absolute, absolute top that I can take it to. Cause the only way that you know what your genetic potential is, is if you go all in, mm -hmm. you'll never get there if you don't go all in. You know, and like, who knows, you never know what your genetic potential is until you try. And that's kind of like a post I made the other day. It's like, Hey, paralysis by analysis, just try something, you know, make an educated decision and try, go do something as opposed to, you know, like skating halfway through it and like not giving everything, you know, not giving it a hundred percent, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I think that as you know, younger people in an off season could, or even, even more experienced people. Say hey, sometimes old dogs need to learn some new tricks is truly how hard you have to work to gain tissue. It's not easy. No burning body fat's easy. Like losing, yeah. losing body fat, that's easy. That's why it happens in 16 weeks. You know, muscle gaining doesn't happen in 16 weeks. No. <laughs> not, like, not at the same rate that body fat loss happens. So it's like, well, you have one that is prepping, losing body fat is like a sprint and gaining muscle is like an ultra marathon. It takes time and it's a very slow and steady pace. It's not something that you can witness in real time. So that would be like trying to watch grass grow or watching paint dry. You know what I mean? Like you can't watch it in real time. Nothing would ever look different to you, you know, but that's why you have to look at it objectively over long periods of time. Yep. You know, I, I just had this conversation with an athlete today. They were getting a little frustrated because they felt like they weren't making progress. And I'm like, Hey, it's only been a month. 
And I'm like, you can't compare pictures every week and think that you're going to grow. That's not how it works, especially at your age. They're over 50. And so I'm just like, especially at your age, it's definitely not how it works. Definitely. Yeah. Like, so we need to be more objective with like where, how we're really doing it, how we're looking at things and comparing, you know, like maybe if you do maybe once a month, that would be fine. But even then I would say, Hey, maybe do once a quarter. You know what I mean? Comparing pictures at the beginning of Q1, the beginning of Q2. And then again, at the beginning of Q3, that's three months. That's plenty of time to be able to see some visual changes over what you did the previous three months. So, but you have to be realistic in, you know, what you're actually going to see on a, on a, on a daily or weekly basis. And it all boils down to, Hey, how fast do I want to progress? Well, if I want to progress faster, I need to, I need to try harder. And by trying harder, I mean, prioritizing your sleep. Nothing's more important than your sleep. Prioritizing your meals, making sure that nothing is more important than getting all of your meals in on a daily basis while still allowing yourself to get your sleep. And then your training, making sure that, hey, nothing's impacting my training. I never have bad training sessions. I'm always in there having a good training session, whether it's I'm beating the logbook or not, I'm still having a great training session by giving my body a stimulus that's going to make it adapt. And if, if you do those three things every single day for a year, you'll be a profoundly different and better bodybuilder. The problem is, is that consistency falls off very quickly. And then it's like, you do all three of those, but like here and there. And that's why people spin their, that's why people spin their wheels and don't make progress at a faster rate. Yeah. It's, it's ultimately, I tell a lot of my, a lot of my people, like, even when they start comparing themselves and they start comparing some of the other people, like they start comparing themselves to some of the people that are progressing pretty quickly. I'm like, you have to take a, you have to take cold, hard look in the mirror and be like, what are they possibly doing that I'm not right? Obviously circumstances are always different with things, but there's people willing to go that little extra mile that they, that other people aren't right. And it's the equation that I give to everybody. It's consistency plus effort over time. Right. That's, that's the biggest equation that goes with anything when it comes down to where you want to go to, but especially, I mean, bodybuilding has trends that go into real life, right? Are they, they're always going to correlate it, but that's just the way you get things done. And it's people will start to add, they'll start to sprinkle in those things, like you said, and they, and they won't take a look in the mirror and be like, I'm the one holding myself back. Because I tell right. guys that all the time. I'm like, yo, I want to get your food up just as much as you do. But if you're <laughs> continuing like sprinkling things in, I don't know if my plan's actually working. So I'm like, I wonder what happens if you hit the plan. And that's what your curiosity should be. Like each week you go in to do your check-ins, you're like, okay, I wonder what can happen this week if I continue to nail my program. Like, exactly. and that's what I tell people. They, they, they hit it one week. And they may drop like five pounds, right? Or something like of that nature because they finally get yeah, their right, shit together. Right. And I'm like, look, yeah. you just built evidence to show yourself what will happen if you actually stick to the plan. And now that I know right. you stuck to the plan, I have to bump up food because five pounds is a lot of weight that should have been dropped. So it's like, right. I want to put this into a rate of loss that is reasonable, but this just mm-hmm. goes to show you can build the evidence yourself. Like us as the coaches, are just to guide them through and be able to take that decision-making off of them for the most part, right? right? They have to make the decisions every single day after where we give our guidance, but mm-hmm. it's just like, they have to make that choice. Like they have the evidence there if they do execute, but most of the time right. people don't execute to the level that they need to for that goal. 
and you're not able to get that, maybe that's why a plan isn't working is, is those things. And that's why it's slower progressions because of this thing. And that's why I remember when I, when I pushed up when you, and you probably did it too. It's like, Hey, the 50 pounds that you had to push up the 40 pounds. Like, I don't remember really missing a meal during that time frame. I remember Mark gave me multiple free meals a week and he's like, yeah. have at it. And I'm like, cool. And then like, he gave me one day. I just remember one day throughout the whole time. He's just like, have a free day. And I was, that was a one yeah. day where I was like, bro, I don't even want to eat. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, those are, those are the hardest days. He's like, fuck man. Like, I don't, you have that breakfast and then you're just like, what do I, I don't even know. What what I, I, don't, I don't even know what I want. I'm not even hungry. And it's like, yeah. Then you end up only eating three meals in the day and it's like, oh shit. It's like, I'm yeah, definitely, yeah. I'm then you're down like four pounds off two, yeah, off like whoops. two missed meals. You're like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. But no, it's so funny. Matt had me do those back in the day too. I was in a prep, uh, for USA's in 2020. Um, before the shows got all moved because of COVID and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, my refeeds weren't structured. It would just say, just have, have a cheat day. So I would do like four or five cheats, like, you know, just eat as much as I can. And my weight would go up like two, three pounds. And then I would, you know, clear that in a day and then hit a new low, like two or three days later. And it was like, he'd be like, just do it again. <laughs> it's crazy. But, it's, was but like that's of, what it is. But that's what a lot of guys are missing. They're really you get into it. You get into a routine like that, and it, and it's like all of a sudden it works mm-hmm. because, the, the, like you said, the consistency and the effort is both involved in the in, in the. They're both present in that equation. So then you get the results that you want, as opposed to like you said. I really love that that equation. I'm going to steal that consistency plus effort over time is what yields the results. It's like well that yeah no shit. It's like but that's the point and then. The effort, I don't feel like is what people have the hardest time with. It's the consistency of the effort. Of the effort, yep. You know what I mean? Like Dallas McCarver in one of his videos back, the old BSN videos before he left BSN, he said, it. I remember he was talking about it in one of his first, it was his first Olympia prep. He said, you know, every anybody can work hard, but it's the consistency of the hard work that weeds people out. And like, that's always been something that's really stuck with me because consistency is a C is a, you know, is a, is a word that is used very regularly, but is followed very seldomly. So we talk about being consistent and I know I use that word a lot in my coaching, but I see it more seldomly than I would like. And that's the unfortunate part of it. And that's where, that's where there there's just a level of excuses that are made, unfortunately. And we, we jump, we make justifications. And um, the way that I boil it down to is that's totally fine. And I get it, but I usually just kind of lump that lump that into this. Isn't the number one priority for you then. Which is perfectly fine. Which is perfectly totally fine. fine. Hey, for the expectations, right? You have to shift expectations. Exactly. Then we have to shift because it's like, okay, I get it. Like, hey, you've got, I coach a lot of people that have children. Um, I, I coach even more people that have significant others. And bodybuilding isn't their number one priority because either their significant other is their number one priority or their kids are or their family is. And if that's the case, then, hey, great. But we need to then also keep our expectations in a realm of realism to the point where it's like, hey, well, this is a realistic expectation for what you're giving me. Yep. But if you want to go outside of that realm, then you're going to have to give me more. And that's what we were just talking about, where it's like, hey, you've got to do more in the sense of do more of the hard stuff, 
the effort, do more of the effort on a consistent basis over time. And then you get the results that you want. And it's so, not, and it's not even always just do more. It's, it's a lot well, of doing, no, I'm agreeing with you. Thing. It's do more yeah. of the good stuff. Right. But it's, yeah, it's, it's do more honestly of for our, for our conversations too, where we see people like normally it ends up with, you just have to do better with what's given in front of you. Like there's like, yeah, really, yeah, that's it. We're saying like, the right. Thing. Like, right. Like do like, there's always that little bit that you could be doing better. Like that's it. And yeah. we all know, and we all know it. Right. You know, the places where probably you could do better. Right. There's places yeah. that I know I could do better. And yeah. it's up to us to make that change. Like ultimately. Like, Absolutely. We, yeah. Like, it's not the responsibility of the coach. You know what I mean? You have to look yourself and you, you said something really good that earlier. You said you have to a long, like what was a cold, hard look in the mirror. And I really love that. Um, and, and be like, Hey, like what, what can I do better at? You know, or what, like, and sometimes that means I need to do this more often. You know I mean? I maybe you stuck my foot in my mouth. Maybe you doing more wasn't because a lot of people are no. going to take that. <laughs> They're going to take that as do more drugs. And take that <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's not what I mean. I'm don't do that. Please don't do that. Don't do that. The only time that you, the only, let's, if we're going to talk about it, the only time that you can justify doing more drugs is if all of your other variables are perfect. If, yeah. Yep. And if you're still not making progress, okay, then maybe you can bump them up a little bit. But until you are doing everything <laughs> else perfect, this isn't even the PEDS is not even something that should be in the conversation. That's and why I didn't want to bring it up. That's why I didn't want to bring it up in this conversation at all until like the end, because honestly, it's the one thing that people think about most. And it's the last yeah. thing that people should be even thinking about because it's an it's an earned right to do that. Like right. that's an so, that's an earned that's an earned like part of this it's of a the equation it's a that, as a bodybuilder you have no right to say that you're an enhanced bodybuilder until you've earned the privilege of saying it with all of the other pillars that you need to be doing to make sure that you're you're executing so that yep. your consistency of your hard work is is there so you know and with us you know we've been on for about an hour you know i think we yep. can talk about this now you know because over at at, at this point we've talked about the consistency of the training Let's yep. talk about training really quick before we get Definitely. into the pets. So with me training, I like, I'm a progressive overload guy. Same. Um, but there's limits to progressive overload. Yes. Right. Okay. We can't just limitlessly get stronger and lift more, more reps. Okay. If that was the case, then you and I both would be squatting a thousand pounds and it would be like, no big deal. Well, that doesn't work at, after a certain point, there's a law of diminishing return, right? Okay. So in progressive overload, I like to utilize a lot of different ways that I can still see progression, right? So if any of these areas are, are getting better week over week, I feel no reason to make a change to my training. Um, I'm a very consistent trainer. I like doing the same shit over and over and over again yep. until it stops working. And the reason why I believe in that is because I think motor patterns make a difference, right? So there's a skill is developed over time, talent you're born with, right? Okay, so yep. if I wanna be a great lifter, if I want to enhance my skill as a lifter, I need to do the same stuff over and over and over again. I have to practice the same stuff over and over and over again. How do you get better at shooting free throws? You shoot more free throws. Yeah. How do I get, how do I get better at, you know, throwing a cross ball with my stick? Well, I throw it more often. I yeah. just do it more often. Okay. So how am I going to get to be a more skilled lifter? Well, I have to lift the same lifts and the same movements over and over and over again to get better at them. How am I going to ever think that I'm going to get better mind muscle connection with my chest if I'm changing my presses every single week? 
I'm never going to get any better with it. I have to get better at doing this movement and learning how to do that. So that way, as my mind muscle connection is getting stronger, I can now be more progressive with load. I can now be more progressive with reps. Now my relative intensity, which using intensity as a word to describe a percentage of your one rep max, now my relative intensity can come up and now I'm able to really be progressive. So the things that I look for within training is load, yep, number of reps completed, my muscle connection, rep execution, and blood flow or pump. Yep. So if any one of these five things is getting better week over week or is improving from like last week or whatever, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. And this is also keeping in mind that rep execution really should be the same every week, if not getting better. You know what I mean? That's, that's tempo, that's form, that's everything. You know what I mean? Like the ability to execute a rep properly should be just simply getting better. That's, that's one that we can pretty much see linear yep. progress with, you know, if it ever does this, it's because you probably went too heavy. Um, and also that you now using the word intensity as a, uh, as a representation of how much effort I'm giving, well, intensity always needs to be as high as possible. So all, I'm not a believer in RPE or RIR for working sets. I don't believe in it. It's yep. just not my, it's not my thing. And there's a lot of people that do believe in it and they, 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 you know, they manage fatigue with that, which is great. My managing fatigue is hey, if you need to take a break, then we take a few days off from the gym. Hey, let's, let's do a five day deload. Use that, use that time to do some additional body work to do cardio, get steps in, but we're taking five days off from training. We're dropping some inflammation. We're letting the body have some rest. We'll get some ad more adequate time to sleep and we'll just kind of relax. <clears throat> that's typically how I would do it. Personally, I do a full, I full, a full week, seven days off, no training. Um, in my younger years, yes, that would have been impossible. But in my <laughs> older years, I like relish in the fact that, oh, I don't have to train this week. Thank God. And oh, so, I love those weeks. Those weeks are great for yeah, me. Yeah. It's like, oh, great. I'll be actually on top of my work this week. So, <laughs> um, but for me, all working, because I'm a low volume trainer, again, Same. so I believe in progressive overload. So I'm much more, you know, uh, the DY style or Dante Trudell's DC style uh, of training um, where, you know, I, I personally like an exaggerated range of motion on most things like really deep pressing, um, you know, shoulder, like even for shoulder pressing down to my chin, if not my chest. Um, you've probably seen my leg day training. Like I'm a big proponent on really deep ranges of motion for quads. Um, as far as, you know, getting fully into the stretch position, into the lengthened position. And then it's always to failure. Yep. So like every, every, every working weight is always to failure. And that is the stuff that I think matters. Now, <clears throat> do I think that using heavy weights to failure is superior than using lighter weights to failure? Yes. Do I feel like you have to just blindly go as heavy as possible? No, no. Because then that's where rep execution is now going to take a hit. And then sometimes, sometimes if the weight's too heavy, you're starting, you just simply are moving weight left and right, you know, to just moving it A to B, you're going to use other areas and other muscle groups to move said muscle so that now that mind muscle connection is not as good. And like, I can't tell you how many times, like I'm not a great, um, I don't connect well with my chest. That's Either did I, yep. I have a, str I struggle. So I might be crushing it on, you know, three plates on something. And like, as far as my muscle connection, I'm like, oh my God, dude, this feels great. But then I throw that fourth plate on 
And it's like, mm, I'm not connecting as well now, all of a sudden, even though there's more load, why is that? It's like, well, because I'm using other muscle groups now. Yep, exactly. So because yeah. I'm now focused on moving load. So, <clears throat> but to kind of wrap that portion up is like, that's how I, that's how I view stuff when it comes to training. I'm, you know, exercise selection is important. Um, you know, and a lot of people can, will make arguments of free weights versus machines. I don't get into all that because that's all hearsay. There's never going to be anything that proves it or disproves it. So that's just arguing for the sake of arguing. Um, but the ones, the areas that can be 100% proven is progressive overload. It works and it's simply, it just simply works and it works really, really well for females. You know what I mean? So if you can get a girl to tap into that, just for whatever reason, it's easier to get the guys to like train like ugly. You know what I mean? When I say train ugly, you know, I'm like, ah, you know, making the ugly faces, just doing whatever they can to get the last rep. Sometimes it's harder to get the girls to do that. But once you can get them to buy into the program, that's when their bodies just start exploding. Yep. That was a big, a big different thing, stimulus. A big thing for me with training that recently helped a lot because I remember inclining, you know, when I was up to the peak of my off season last go around, I was, I was doing like a hundred pound dumbbell inclines. And now okay. I'm like back to like the 75s and they're like, oh my God, you must've lost muscle. No, I'm no. pressing so much more because I'm actually pausing. Like one thing that's helped me is controlling the end ranges. And most people don't like those places whatsoever. So when you're right. in that leg press, get deep and actually like fully pause there. Yeah, and, stay there feel, for a second. and, and this is something that I've kind of come into conclusion is when you're kind of like banging out weight there and you're like just pressing through you're not allowing that tension to actually like get a hold of it. So actually getting that rep is going to be much harder as you like, even though you're moving it, it's going to get much harder eventually. Whereas right. I think you save so much, you save so much energy and you actually produce way more by pausing there. And you're creating that tension in that muscle to actually bounce, to actually like press through that. So yeah, it's like, that's what helped me so much now recently with being able, because I think during my last growth phase, I put on like eight or 10 inches like this way with wise. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, well, how I was like, oh, I actually got really good at pressing. And like, that's, that was right. like the big game changer for me is being yeah. able to do that. So, so I think a lot of people don't do that and they don't mix the intensity enough too, but like they need to start off with a little bit more tempo. Like if you're trying to connect to a body part, start a little bit more off with tempo and then get a mm -hmm. little bit into that uglier type environment once you're really connected to that muscle and you understand how to move right it. yeah because yes exactly because if you're not and that, that was kind of what i was getting at when i said use rep execution because i i i kind of lump form and tempo Definitely. and all that yep. stuff into, all, into yeah. rep execution yep. and so whereas if my rep execution that was why i said it's always got to be linearly getting better yes. or it's already got to be in a good place for lifting with both forms of intensity high load as well as high levels of effort it's got to be there else it breaks down. Yep. And that's where, you know, there's that, you know, age old question of, should I keep going even though my form is kind of broken and I can still complete reps or should I stop? It's like, well, you probably should stop. You know what I mean? Cause you're, you know, you're at a higher risk of injury, but the point, the, the bigger question is like, why are we getting to that point in the first place? Like, why are your, why is your form breaking? Is it fatigue or is it, you're just being lazy? You know what I mean? Because sometimes it's like, hey, it takes mental fortitude to keep your form in place. You know what I mean? Oh, like you've yeah. got to stay locked in. 
You know what I mean? And like, that's, that's when I, when I tell people to stay locked in when they're training, like in the midst of a set, I'll be like, Hey, stay locked in, stay locked in. That to me is telling them one, don't change your pace. So don't change your tempo. And two, don't change your form. I mean, keep everything exactly how you're doing it. Stay locked in, in the exact way that you've been doing all of the reps up to this point. Don't change anything. Cause the, the last rep of a set should look just like the first. Yep. It's just slow. I always That's say, I always say one big thing that most people don't do. And I've had to like choose my music selection, even based on this is composure within the, within the set, because right. most guys, most guys will go and they'll get the intensity part, right. Right. They'll yeah. be able to yeah. angrily go in and they'll fuck some shit up. Right. Yeah. But then they, but they're but too they jacked up for the set, too jacked up for the set and they waste all their energy even prior to it. So like I even had to listen to like classical music now or things of that nature. Like I have to listen to really things like subtly because I can take things there just mentally through whatever right. I've been through. So it's just like easy to get jacked up. But every time yeah. I get jacked up, I waste a set. So it's like actually staying composed until the necessary time within that specifically on like this specifically comes out more so on like day like, when it's like the hardest. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but like maintaining composure within the set is so needed to actually get right. through. Right. So I agree. And yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, I feel like we've kind of touched on all of that, but that's, you know, and then like as a skilled lifter, when you become more skilled as a lifter, that's when you can start adding the intensity amplifiers, you know, the yep. drop sets, the, you know, DC rest pauses, the cluster sets, you know, whatever, you know, your mean? straight sets first, nail your straight. Sets yeah. First. Right. It's like, well, let's master way. just taking a set from start to finish and hitting failure. Like, let's just master that. Yeah. And then we can do all the fancy shit later. That's the, you know, supersets is probably the most overused term as well as the most overused intensity amplifier. And it's something that a lot of people do and they're doing it wrong. Rest pause, like, rest pause is the only thing I use or cluster set. That's what I, I like. The ever, most. I rarely ever use drop sets in my trainings. Well, maybe my program training from my coach, obviously. Yes, I follow right. what he's planned. But majority of the time when I'm programming, it's either a rest pause set or a cluster set. It's never. Yeah, it's not rest cluster. yeah. and I, li I like both of those two. I think, you know, I, I like drop sets um, here fun. and there. It's, it's still it's it's still they're a fun. priority. <laughs> it's not a yeah, they're funny. I mean, it's like I Justin and I at this point in our training will everything's always, you know, a top set. And then the back off set is the one where we kind of get a little funky. Yep. Well, it's like, Hey, you want to do something, you know, we want to do, you want to do just another straight set. You want to do a widow maker. You want to do like, what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, and that's where we, then that's where we you know, have some fun with it. You know what I mean? That's another thing that we need to talk about, which is in my opinion, one of the most overlooked aspects of it is like, dude, if you're not having fun with this, then you're never going to make as much progress yep. you, as you would if you were actually having fun. That's you know, why I said talk shit in the gym. Like when we talk shit in the gym, that's like fun. Like that makes lifting fun. Like we were able, like in between sets, we talk shit and then yeah. we know when to fucking lock in, right? Like I bet that's the same right. between you and Justin. You're like, hey, we talk smack between sets between each other. But when it's time yeah. for one of us to go, we're both locked in to that set. Like that's exactly. it. So yeah, like exactly. I think the same thing. And that, you're that not having comes fun with, with it. Time. Yeah, yeah, and that comes with time. You know what I mean? Like as a beginner, you're never going to get it. And you're, that's just, and it's not something that you actively work on. It just, it comes over time. You learn it naturally and you kind of learn it through osmosis. So for anyone listening, like, don't worry about that. Like, well, I don't talk shit in between sense. Like that's not, it's, it's a, not, it, it. that's a training partner thing. Like when you find the yeah, right that's training a, partner, yeah, it's a training partner thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I feel like we're yeah. in a secret club saying that. 
Um, right. Yeah. It's like, hey, not a lot of people. A lot of people don't have access to a good training no, partner. And I can no. I can honestly say that every athlete that I have, uh, the ones that have training partners make faster progress than the ones that don't. Yep. So I think we kind of nailed everything here outside of like yeah. PDs. And I really don't even want to get in because I really because I really think that that's an appropriate conversation for like another day. I think there are people yeah, that I mean, utilize... we, can talk, we, we can go on it for we could go on it for hours with PEDs. Yeah. Um, it is, yes, it's obviously, a, an important factor in all of this, but I will, I will say this real, I will touch on this before Definitely. we go, because I wanted to make a point. You can grow on substantially less than what you think. Yep. If your other areas are executed properly. And as a result of said, you know, growth that you can get on lower amounts, as long as all the other areas are perfect, you then can get away with using less. So now you're having, you know, likely shorter health phases because there's not a whole lot to fix because you're healthy, because you're not having to be too aggressive. Um, Your responsiveness to said compounds stays relatively high. So you're not building up this tolerance you know what I mean? Well, it's like, well, I've always used a gram of tests. So now I need, what do I do? Go up to 1500 megs of tests. It's like, well, I guess, but like, that's really not where we want to end up. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. if we can grow on 500 to 750, that's much better. You know, and these are arbitrary numbers, obviously guys, like don't like take this as like, you know, the Bible, but that's the unfortunate nature. And we have, you know, TikTok nowadays, that's like really skewing what people are actually doing. And even on Instagram, you know, there's a lot of Instagram bodybuilders or TikTok bodybuilders that are, you know, using cycles as big beginners, as, as guys that are not even 180 pounds soaking wet. Um, and it's like, well, you know, this, these, there's no need for this amount of milligram exposure to be being used to achieve this physique. This, if this physique, quite frankly, is actually probably rather, is probably rather achievable naturally. And yet you're taking, you know, upwards of two grams of compounds, which is an exuberant amount. Um, and, and it's unfortunate, you know what I mean? So for, for anybody that's listening, you know, like getting the most out of the least should always be your go-to, um, in a contest prep, Hey, hire a coach, listen to your coach. Um, at certain points you'll realize, Hey, we got to do what we got to do to get the desired effect and get the win. You know what I mean? Cause we're competing to win. It's not a blow to our competition in prep. But if you can see great progress on minimal amounts, then, hey, great, that's excellent. And, and truthfully, unfortunately, it's an unfortunate thing, and you know this as well, that PEDs cover up a lot of mistakes. Yep. And that's the unfortunate part because we see progress and we think, oh, I'm doing everything right. I'm progressing. When in reality, they aren't doing what you said earlier, which is asking themselves and looking themselves in the mirror, what could I be doing better as opposed to how much more drugs can I take? Yep. This is always the answer. Ask, ask yourself what you can do better. Just taking more drugs when you still have areas that you can be improving on in all of your other areas, your sleep, your nutrition, your training. Those are the areas that you should be nailing first. And then like we discussed earlier, PEDs are a privilege after you've executed all those other things. So when you get to that point and, or if you get to that point, cause I, I coach a lot of naturals, um, then it's a, it's a rite of passage because you've earned that right as opposed to just bought something online and started using it. You know what I mean? Cause you think that that's the right thing to do. 
Yeah. So exactly. Listen to your coach at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. If anything, just listen to your coach. They'll educate you enough that, or they should educate you enough that they should provide you with the right guidance there. So yeah, ultimately yes. that should be the right exactly. thing. So um, before you leave, I have two questions for you. We have two last questions. They could be pretty yeah. short here in answers. So the noble pursuit, obviously that's the name of the podcast. Um, it stands for the most noble pursuit in life is to become the best version of yourself possible. What okay. is one thing that people can do to become the best version of themselves? Oh, <laughs> that's a good question, man. I think that um, in order to be the best version of yourself, you have to, first and foremost, you have to start believing in yourself. Um, and I think that we have a, a generation of young men. I'm going to kind of talk to the men here. Um, we have a generation of young men right now who, have, who are, are crippled with self-doubt. Um, we have this generation of young men that really have a hard time being able to believe in themselves, whether it's due to the societal constraints that have been placed on men these days, uh, whether it's the uphill battle or the different things that they're objectified with and now having to live their life through this lens, or just simply the uh, different struggles that they are going to have to go through being a, being a man, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because there is still something to be said about what it means to be a man. You know what I mean? And being able to be the man of the house and, and things of that nature. Um, so I think believing in yourself that you're not only doing the right things, but that you're also a good person uh, are two of the most important things that anybody could do for themselves, both men and women, um, to be able to be the best version of yourself. Because you can't unlock the best version of yourself until you believe in yourself. And at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the person, nobody believes in Justin Jacoby more than Justin Jacoby. And it has to be that way because if, if other people believe in me more than I believe in myself, I'm never going to tap into any extra levels of what I can be and be the absolute best version of myself, like max out my potential. I have to believe that I can get there before I get there. You know, thoughts become things. So I have to think it and manifest it and believe in myself before I can actually get there. So self, self-belief is something that unfortunately young men really have a hard time with these days. And that's something that we, I really would like to see change if there was a way. Awesome. Well, that's what this podcast hopefully does for people. Um, yeah. And then, and then where can people find you? This is a, this is a pretty easy question. So. Oh yeah. Find you on Instagram. Yep. On Instagram, J underscore Jacoby 32. Uh, my email is in my bio. I won't list it out. It won't make sense. Um, but yeah, you can find me there. Um, I check my Instagram pretty regularly as it's where I get the majority of my, um, inquiries for coaching, um, and how people tend to find me. My page is pretty much a coaching page. Now I hardly ever post pictures of myself. Um, but yeah, that's where you guys can find me. I also have a YouTube channel, um, that I post to, you know, every once in a while. And that link is in my, uh, Instagram as well. So Instagram is the best way to find me. Awesome. Well, if you guys did enjoy this episode, we would appreciate it if first off you share it on your Instagram story, tag us both. That would be great to share it with someone maybe that needs to hear this. Uh, go subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, go follow Justin on Instagram. Go follow myself if you're coming from Justin. Uh, I put these out every single week for every for everybody to know. Um, and yeah, so we appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Noble Pursuit Podcast. And you guys just took one step towards becoming the best version of yourself possible. Catch you guys on the next episode.